Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 238. And with that number, we're going to give a shout out to A.D. Franch, goalkeeper for the U.S. national team in Portland Thorns. She has 238 saves, regular season saves, that is, from her four years playing in the NWSL. All right, back after a week off. Um, sorry, last week kind of got away from me and couldn't get a full episode out. So this episode is bigger. Um, three chats, not just two chats, three chats. First off, um, with Jen O'Neill from She Kicks Magazine, based in the UK. Definitely want to follow Jen on Twitter. It's just shekicks.net, and you actually spell out dot, or you know, check out the magazine online. You can buy a print subscription or an online subscription. Jen gave me the scoop on Barclays' new sponsorship of the FAWSL, and I also got her thoughts on Phil Neville's first year in charge of the England women's national team. Then spoke with John Halloran with American Soccer Now, also Equalizer Soccer. John went to the first half of the preseason games in Portland, so he got to see three of the six. So we talked about what he saw, as well as the status of Morgan Bryan and the rest of the Chicago Red Stars roster. And then I had a great chat with Cindy Lara, who covers the Utah Royals for RSL Soapbox, to talk about how Laura Harvey's team looks for its second season. So enjoy this supersized mix zone. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jen O'Neill of She Kicks Magazine from across the pond, as we dorky Americans like to say. Jen O'Neill, we finally got to meet, uh, as she believes, briefly, but that was just a very strange whirlwind tour of Philly, Nashville, Tampa. Like, that was a very strange, like, wow, I've never had a nine-day vacation like that. It's my (laughs) It's my fourth She Believes Cup that I've attended, and they're all like that. And and I'm surprised every time they come up with the venues that they haven't just included Alaska and Hawaii in there as well. (laughs) Why don't we just go everywhere and make it as broad and as difficult to get from one venue to another as possible? At least we didn't have any weather shenanigans this time because travel and transport has always had some kind of uh, intervention from from the weather in the past so this time was okay and it was lovely to meet you and I think it was best that you only met me briefly (laughs) well and it's funny to think that the distances between the venues that she believes for the most part are are much farther than distances between venues for the world cup this summer I've just been looking today trying to obviously I should have sorted this a lot sooner but there's sort of variables and I sort of waited and it really is an absolute nightmare trying to work out um, so you're sort of picking games that you might want to see and then looking I'm sort of hoping to do it public transport but it's not going to be easy because they're not venues aren't even on the same train route so you have to go into hubs and out of hubs or you fly oh. there and get that it's it's actually SNCF the national train uh, company are sponsors I'm not surprised they'll be making a fortune out of this <laughs> tournament <laughs> But yeah, it's not it's not easy. They they have not made those groupings in terms of the geography and the games um make any sense at all to me. 
Though we still have to compare it to 2015, where there was no way you could take a train to everything, and it was in what five different time zones. But that time zones. Apart from never knowing what time of day it was or what I was supposed to be doing or anything, at least I knew where I was. <laughs> so, because you were sort of in one one place for a couple of games, and then so yeah, there were a few, like, there were fewer yeah. venues. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like a previous World Cup, so you could sort of zip about and see stuff. You, you. I was following England, so it was a conscious decision that you go from Moncton, and then actually I had a bit of a vacation planned in Banff before the sort of semis in the final, and England really ruined that <laughs> because they didn't get knocked out. <laughs> So I was in a press post-match press conference waiting for Mark Sampson to come in and I was booking flights to back to Edmonton and accommodation and stuff because it was sort of that kind of a crazy ride that we were on. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about She Kicks. Um, you know, for any of my listeners that, that aren't aware of the magazine that, that, that you're editor of, tell me a little bit about how the magazine comes about and, and came about and how people can uh, subscribe to it. Well, I'll try and give you the shorthand version because it's quite a convoluted history. And I guess anybody who uh, has been involved in women's soccer, women's football for a long time will understand the nature of these things. Um, You know, if you even think about the league in the US, how many incarnations it's had and then rebirths. And we're sort of kind of like that as a magazine. Uh It was launched as On The Ball in 1996. And I was just leaving university then, so I didn't sort of join straight away. Um, It was a colleague. He's still a sort of friend and colleague of mine, but doesn't have that much to do with the magazine. He started it up in the northeastern England. And Mm -hmm. I was at Oxford and uh, played soccer there for the university and for sort of British universities and, and graduated. And I think it was just sort of asked around, does anybody who would be suitable maybe, who might consider this as a job to come and work in a, in a women's football magazine. And I didn't do it straight away, actually. I felt sort of a bit, I felt a bit embarrassed. And I, I guess that's my generation and our sort of culture that women's football wasn't really taken that seriously. Even though I was playing at a high standard at Sunderland, we were, there's a, a Premier League at that point. I, I just didn't still sort of take myself that seriously this continues to this day I'll I'll mention that in a moment but I joined in 98 um, Mm -hmm. and my first interview was with Hope Powell went to a flat in London she just got the job as the English yeah I think that was the best terms we were ever on it sort of disintegrated slightly (laughs) after that um yeah and, and we we had different names as well we were bought out by a big media company in 2000 we were called she kicks for a while and went um monthly because we're a bi-monthly publication we have seven issues a year uh, they went under took a lot of money from the fa and then and then went in administration dragging us with them so we like a phoenix from the flames rose again <laughs> and set up fair game magazine they wouldn't let us use she kicks they kept the hold of the name cruelly even though they didn't want to use it at all so we were fair game for quite a few years we had a magazine in the US some people might even remember us we were punching above our weight I guess but I learned a lot doing that I think it was about two years we worked on fair game USA including during the 2007 World Cup in China and the Beijing Olympics I think I have one copy of that yeah, well, I've still got quite a few. I'm pretty proud like of Christy it. Rampone, yeah, I think, was yeah. on the cover. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. pretty proud of what we managed to do, but for various reasons. And, and I would, for one, say it wasn't my fault. Lots of things are normally my fault, but this wasn't. It just didn't sort of work out working with people over in the US and uh, publishers, whatever. Moving on. She Kicks is reborn in 2009 and, and sort of hits the dawn of the, the social media age as well. And so that helps us spread our word slightly. So we're a, a print magazine, but we also sell that exactly the same edition digitally. So you can, you can subscribe anywhere in the world to the print magazine, but it's obviously cheaper if you buy the digital magazine. And you can find that in the shop on our website on shekicks.net. And we... In the past, would have been much more UK centric, but because people can, there's the visibility of women's soccer, women's football is so much higher than it's ever been. So is the interest in international players and players moving around. And so it's, I really enjoy the fact that now we can talk about players and leagues elsewhere. It still has a obviously a, an Anglo centric. Um, focus. It's that's inevitable. That's where the majority of our readers are. But it's right. I, I appreciate taking more stuff and on online. We're definitely starting to do that. Have more interviews with with just random players. And because certainly in England, particularly the BBC and um, some of the mainstream media are taking more interest in the women's game, but they're only really interested in the Lionesses or the WSL. It's giving us a chance to speak to the players that they're not quite noticing so we always just find our niche hopefully of talking about players or people or stories that other people don't are you still awake yeah no no uh, and and we don't know that's when when you said people don't i was ready for you to go and that people don't da, 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 and i was like oh wait <laughs> no no it, but but I would always say that we we take our football seriously, our soccer seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. We our greatest success is still being here. We've like lurked around like a bad smell, and sometimes that's because we have to say no to the nice to dos and the want to dos, and we stick with the need to dos. And I, I think we're not perfect by any stretch, and we would love to do more and do better, but. But what we have is trust because we've never, I hope we've never screwed people over. And this stuff we know we don't tell people or we have the game's uh, best interests at heart. And the fact that we can cling on and survive in a, in a sport that still doesn't make money um, is yeah. our success, I guess. Well, and, and I like how you separate it into the want to do's versus the need to do's. And you got to stick with the need to do's because the most important thing is that the publication is still around. Yeah, when it, for a soccer team, it's to play your fixtures and, and to not and to have fit players and make sure that the players are okay. They should be the number one priority. And I think sometimes leagues, organisations, I've seen magazines sort of come and go. Or the it's wonderful to have grandiose ideas, but you know you have to have some sense of longevity or. Um, sense about what you're doing and it helps where we're based up actually in the northeast of England near uh, Newcastle well we're almost in Scotland to be honest which which confuses all these London media types who think we're down there but actually keeps our costs down slightly but it is making it harder for us to go to live football because sadly all of the top teams in the area have um, dropped down the leagues 
for reasons I'm sure we will talk about very soon. Yeah, well, there's there's a perfect segue right there. Um, you know, we had the big news last week about Barclays uh, agreeing to a sponsorship with the FAWSL, and and I want the the details from you and 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 the the good parts about that, but also the bad parts about that. Yeah, well. I was saying to you earlier, we I did quite a lot of radio interviews last week, and we all have to sort of um, get the tambourines and do a little out and do a little dance and be giddy because it's by far the biggest spend by a brand in UK women's sport ever. So Barclays have uh, signed a, a ten million pound deal over three years. Incorporated into that is they're offering five hundred thousand pounds prize money per year how that will be distributed hasn't been decided yet but hopefully they'll do it in a sort of similarly egalitarian way that the Premier League do it the men's um, Premier League because you have to have some level of competition retained what is important I think about Barclays being involved is they they've said they're going to have an allocated marketing spend so what they can do with their background in, in football and they're still involved with the men's Premier League is they can make people know about this league about the mm-hmm. women's super league whereas it's okay having a product which we have which is getting better and better and better but it's still not in the mainstream week after week people are now aware of england playing in the world cup scotland playing in the world cup they're aware of the cup final which is played at wembley every year now and is live on on bbc but they don't know about the wsl teams and they don't know the fixtures and they it's not in their faces regularly and that's the hope is that's what Barclays can help to achieve so that there's that angle to it but they're also putting money in with the FA to uh, grassroots football so they're part of a school's partnership so if the whole idea is if you can see it you want to be it but you then have to give the opportunity for the girls to play because although things are getting better and uh, participation is definitely on on the rise and that's been a steady increase and that's the thing that you always come back to certainly from our perspective when people get upset that maybe this isn't happening yet or that's not happening in the women's game if more girls are playing the sport more women are playing the sport then everything will be okay in the end and so hopefully these schools partnerships will make sure that more and more girls get to play at school because it's still not a given that their teacher will allow them to play or that there will be somebody at their school who provide the opportunity for girls to play football and that they'll even get if if they do get to play that they get reasonable coaching yeah well i think it's uh, yeah the the you can you can hope that the, 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 yes it will be that they will get decent coaching but okay. to to achieve or to to get better then i think you probably need to look outside of this i think this these are more sort of taster opportunities and not necessarily you're playing in a team and you're playing regularly and getting better this is just going to give you the appetite and your early sort of opportunities and stages in in starting to be an enthusiastic or skilled player and they want people to play for fun as well it's not all about being elite right right and so that's all the good stuff yeah so that's the good side what's the bad side well you and we were talking about this as well, like everything's a bit binary. So if you've been following Twitter, you'll have seen people very excited because it is some of the ways I've heard it described. Oh, it's a landmark moment. Um, it's it's a game changer. It's it's the tipping point. And, and hopefully that is because you will perhaps then see other brands put their money where their mouth is. 
I like how Barclays are bank and they know that the women hold the purse strings. So that's kind of a savvy thing that they've done to get involved in women's sport. But you, you, we need a sponsor for the championship, which is tier two, because the big concern is that the money goes into the elite level and the gap widens. So you right. have these, you already have a gap anyway, because the big spenders, Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal, and to a slightly lesser extent, Liverpool and maybe Reading, that they're already above everybody else. And if they start to get more and more prize money, then the gap will widen. And we we don't want it to be a closed league. We don't just want a 10 or 11, it's 11 at the moment, or 12 team WSL that, that nobody else can be promoted into. And there's a fear that that is what is going to happen and you will just have maybe 11, 12 Premier League clubs and it's their own little game to play with. So that, that's yeah, a big and, concern. Yeah, and we've seen, you know, Doncaster Bells, one of the, what the I would say, one of the oldest clubs. Well, certainly, know, one, yeah, one of the, yeah. definitely one of the longest of, and most successful, of, you know, in terms of, everybody's awareness of them they've, they've played at the top for for such a long time and they cannot compete in terms of the money you you basically you need a big men's club's backing to succeed and that and that comes at the whim of the owners sometimes if they decide there's a, a sea change in attitude then all of the funding will pull away reading or in league or the championship but precariously were doing quite badly this is in the, the men's championship they were doing quite badly mm-hmm. and, and they have a lot of talented players and a big squad for example now their owner Medeski who funds it and is a rich man if he changes his mind <laughs> then, <laughs> or, or somebody at the somebody else another co-owner decides that they shouldn't put that money into it because it doesn't bring money into the the men's club it's not sustainable that's what we want we want the end goal is to have a sustainable women's league right Right, which which is not at the moment, which and everybody's accepting of that because the FA basically bankroll it, apart from these top three or four teams. And then, somewhat connected to this, I mean, I, I think all of this is about just the growth of the game it, it, in the UK, and and it's it's kind of exciting to me that it's happening in in a World Cup year with, you know, England, you know seeming very eager to outdo its performance from 2015. And, you know, Phil Neville now has a year under his belt. But what has the reaction been and the, the, the I don't know, the, the, the fan feeling of, you know, first Neville being named last year, but then, you know, feelings about him since they've, they've seen a lot of success under him, you know, winning the She Believes Cup and, and looking like a contender. Yeah, it's the. I kind of I guess it follows on from the Barclays thing because they've all, they've had Budweiser and Lucasaid, a couple of other brands have attached themselves to Lionesses, and I think a few more are going to follow. There's a there's a momentum to not just on the field but off the field events and around the the women's game. I think Emma Hayes was saying the other day, Chelsea, but former Chicago Red Stars, lots of W. Um, PS etc. Teams were saying that there's a who nobody's going to be able to catch England up now. But this is where we're on the roll now. This is this is 
part of that sort of momentum that we've got in terms of commercially, but also players will want to come and play in this league. But England are the pinnacle of that. And the so I'm talking about, you, you mentioned Donks the Bells. My background is playing for Sunderland. They're another team that were sort of left behind by this great uh, surge forward in, in the women's game. But it's all focused on the money and we want the game to grow smartly and not just be focused on cash because that's the way the men's game's gone. But hopefully we can not do that, not be fixated on, on pound signs. The Lionesses are totally bought into Phil Neville. So there, there was a furore. There was upset when he first was appointed. More so because of the way that it came about, because they said they were looking for a coach that had this, 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 you know, international mm-hmm. backgrounds, uh, the, these qualifications, this experience. And we, we heard all the stories about who'd gone for it. And there were quite a lot of leading national team coaches from the around the world went for it because England has talented players, but also a big budget. They do back their women's team. As much as the FA has uh, people sniping at them, they're putting their money where their mouth is in backing the, the whole women's setup. So we don't have anybody appointed. And then Phil Neville, who at the, didn't even apply for it as far as we know, then wow. get sort of parachuted in. It was it was suggested and then to somebody and then he was asked and then he thought, Oh yeah, and so then he went for it. So so there was all this sort of it felt uncomfortable because we were expecting one thing and then from the left field he comes in. Now that sounds like I'm complaining, but we just didn't know what was going on at the time. Then there was the tweaks and all this sort of kind of you always get this media interest and they, they, they love to have a bit of negativity around it. Oh, of course. This was, all happening, this was all happening quite quickly, really, but it just showed you the level of interest from outside of just the, the women's uh, soccer bubble. But the players already were quite interested in the idea and having met him and heard him talk and knowing his background because he's played for um, Sir Alex Ferguson for however long and played in Champions League finals and being an England international for so long he had that experience and he had their respect instantly and then when they started to work with him even from that first She Believes Cup he was in charge of last year in 2018 they were happy right from the outset and he he started to do his homework and a year on I've never I can't ever remember having interviewed a group of players who were this happy you know, wow. also, actually, and this will be pertinent to you, Rachel Daly said, when I had a chat with her in Tampa, that she'd never been this happy going into a into camps before, into a team before. She looks forward to it. And, and that was with real enthusiasm. She said, I don't have negative nerves. I have happy nerves because I'm looking forward to achieving. It might be harder for him when he has to cut players, because yeah. at the moment, his man management skills, they all say that his communication is outstanding and they know exactly where they are with him. He speaks to them a couple of times a week, even Jody Taylor and, and uh, Rachel Daly being based in the US. He would be watching their games through the night and they nice. would know that because he would be in touch and he'd be asking, you know, all through the week, how are you doing? Not just on the field, but off the field. So they're happy and they're also starting to... To play well there were a lot of question marks by 
some hardcore fans over here about his team selections and does he really know what he's doing and everybody gets upset when the coach doesn't pick their favourite players but on the whole that annoying um, word momentum they definitely have it. They definitely have it. Um, we hear a lot of stuff about belief in that rhetoric, but they do actually believe it. The, the game against the US, it, the She Believes Cup, they weren't frightened. Now, they, they would have been frightened before. Even if five or six of them weren't frightened, three or four of them would have been. Because right. just that's, the, that's the nature of it. They're not anymore. None of them are. Whether that'll come and kick them in the face again and we'll we'll get another schooling like we did against Germany a few years ago at Wembley when Mark Sampson decided that England were this and they could compete with a team like that and they got thumped yeah. 3-0. And he actually changed his entire tactics after that and we became a very conservative but hopefully efficient but quite stayed and boring team to watch because it's a long ball, it's, it's keep it tight and, and take your chances when you get it. It, the, the Phil Neville team isn't like that and they enjoy that I'm not sure we're ready to win the World Cup just yet they'll disagree the players but we're certainly up there and we're we're, we're fun to to watch I think definitely I mean I, I enjoyed all three of England's She Believes Cup games and, and I mean, you could see the how they respond to Phil Neville or even watching him watch the non-England games he's so into it and there's such a great kind of environment there of between him and the players it, it, it was pretty obvious I think they, they, there's a they've got the ingredients there but then other nations have the ingredients there as well to to be successful and to keep getting better because we have that that soccer culture that the education as they grow up it's all around them and and even now you can see clubs like Arsenal are having their best 12, two or three 12-year-old girls training with the the men, the boys' academy at the same age groups. All of a sudden, I don't know why it's taken 30, 40 years and why could, I couldn't even play mixed football <laughs> up to the age of 11. <laughs> I, I just couldn't. I would kick about with the guys until I was 18 or 19, just the scrimmages or games on the fields, but I couldn't play organised football because it was... Uh, there, was, there was a law against this up until 91 then you could play mixed football up to the age of 11 now we've got 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds playing mixed football if they want to and, and they're being pushed so th- we have the Premier League money we have the the, the culture behind us uh-huh. and we have the FA keen to, to push the game uh, other than you know whether the talent's there. You've got to hope that it, we can find it. Then there's there's no reason why we shouldn't continue to be one of the best two, three, four teams in the world. Well, I'm just I'm looking forward to you know seeing what happens with uh, you know you've got the friendlies in April and then of course you know the World Cup, a really interesting group with England, Scotland, Argentina, Japan. Um, so I I. I, I think, you know, they're definitely one of the contenders for this summer. But that being said, this is such a strange World Cup that I think I think for, I think for the first time, you know, we could say, wow, there's, you know, six, seven, maybe eight teams that could pull it off. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I really haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
any, well, have you, honestly, has anybody, the, the, you, what you do then is you revert to type and you say, well, USA have done it before and they've got players who've done it, so you can't ever discount them. I can't, I don't know whether it's just because we're English and we have that it rivalry with, with Germany just in an entire football context, but I can't ever write Germany off. I will be shocked if they have another poor tournament. Right, and we did. We had an interview with Alexandra Pop, and it was quite uh, revealing how totally discombobulated they were under Steffi Jones. She, the, to the point where she was saying, when Horst Kubrush came in, they, he actually told them the basics of what they were expected to do because they'd even forgotten that they were so much of a mess. And I don't remember it. I don't remember them being that bad under her, but they clearly. You know, they failed at Euro 2017 and they were they were struggling. And then wow. France are the great enigma, aren't they? Japan yeah. will do what Japan does and possibly be better than we even expect. Australia and Spain, Sweden always do what Sweden do, but they're always in your group. <laughs> so that's their I problem. know, I know. <laughs> and then France, what, what will they do? I don't know. Especially with, you know, will being the home team be an advantage or mm. will it be an added pressure? So, yeah. so many Laura, great storylines to follow this, this yeah. summer. Laura George said quite enigmatically when I asked her back in September at the FIFA Awards that they were already uh, doing things with the players to cope with the fact that they were the hosts, but they weren't going to tell me what it was. So I don't know what you can do. I don't know what you can do to, but they had spoken to the Germans and to the Canadians about being hosts and how you you deal with that pressure. Interesting, interesting. Well, Jen, thank you for taking the time to talk about all of these different football topics. And you know, once again, I want to plug She Kicks uh, that it's you know another way to feed your women's soccer uh, obsession. So should be easy to find you guys online, on Twitter, etc. And, you know, I, I look forward to maybe having a beer with you somewhere in France this summer. Well, I'm definitely up for that. My, my little ears and my eyes went away. <laughs> I, I might even offer to buy. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with John Halloran, the man from Chicago or somewhere north of Chicago, who has all the Chicago news for us. But really, John, I guess this call is more about Portland because you were recently out in Portland for the annual Spring Invitational Tournament. So tell me about that. Um, Yeah, I was out there for uh, five days, which was uh, both the Sunday matches and then the first match on uh, Wednesday before I had to head to the airport uh, and come home. So I got to see uh, half of the Invitational and um, some pretty good soccer, especially that first day. And thoughts on thoughts on the, the three matches? Let's just let's just do them in order. Yeah, um, I thought. Um, well, I'll tell you what. The big takeaway in the first game I saw, which was Seattle versus the U23s, was that Seattle's front line looks fantastic, um, and I think that they have done enough for you know. And I don't think it was a lot, but you know, adding Jenkins into the mix looks to be. Uh-huh. Um, a huge pickup. I know she had three goals in their first two preseason games. She looked dangerous the entire match. 
against the U23s and combining with Taylor and Pino up top looked really strong. Uh, and that, that didn't even include Shea Groom, who did not play in the first two matches, uh, the ones that I was out there for. Hmm. So what, I can't remember, what was the result of that one? Um, I think it was 1-1. I'll be honest, being preseason, I wasn't really paying attention so much to the scoreline, but more on just the, the you know. Watching formations. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and the one thing I'll tell you, too, just from that um, with Seattle was that uh, Bevianez was playing the number 10 uh, in both of the matches interesting. I watched, which, which was interesting because, you know, I think most of us, you know, normally see her playing up front. And then was Lydia Williams in goal? Michelle Betos, were they alternating? Uh, or, or did the I third get in there? In goal. I think Williams was the first game and Betos was the second. Betos actually had a really good save against uh, Chicago in their second match. Nice, nice. And how did you feel about Chicago, Chicago's performance? You know, it, it's so hard to tell. You know, the first game I thought yeah. was a really good game. That was the one where the national team players were all still there. We, uh, you know, anybody who got to see it, and it wasn't streamed, unfortunately, but um, there were a fair number of people yeah. in the stands. They, they got to see a really great matchup between Tobin Heath and Casey Short out on the flank. Those two went at each other all day long. Um, and I know there, there were a few um, GIFs, I think, published from some photographers who did some quick shots out there and, and posted those online. But they, those two battled all game. Um, Nayer had a good game as well uh, in that first match, which was nice to see. But uh, Chicago's also missing a lot of players. Di Bernardo's out um, with another hip injury. Morgan Bryan did not make the trip um, out to Portland. So, you know, you didn't, get to, you didn't get to see them. And then, of course, after the first match, the national team players left. And so that second game was really kind of a hodgepodge of players. Um, Chicago did end up going 0-3. They lost all three games 2-1. to um, but again, I don't put a lot of stock into that. I doubt Rory puts much much stock into that either. Talk about Morgan Bryan. Let's let's back up a little bit. Not making the trip. Um, I think you had tweeted something about that. Uh, you know, she's not with the team right now, and of course, how um, Rory Dames completely supporting that. Uh, but you know, what's as far as you know, what is Morgan Bryan dealing with? I don't think, well, they didn't actually say what the latest diagnosis was, but um, there is, as you mentioned, kind of a pretty thorough explanation of uh, what's been happening behind the scenes up on Equalizer right now. Um, So she pulled herself out of contention um, from the last couple of U.S. camps, which is different than what has been reported, which is that it was a coach's decision. Um, I think they have just decided or she has decided that she needs to be a hundred percent fit. And it's been, it's been kind of a, a series of injuries. She's struggled at various times with both hamstrings, a groin injury, a back injury. And it seems like that those may all be related in some sort of underlying condition that uh, mm-hmm. Coach Dame said that they they finally saw somebody that hadn't looked at her before, um, that they think they have found an underlying diagnosis and that everything has been progressing since then. Um, but, yeah, she was doing light field sessions back in Chicago while the team was out in Portland, and that follows uh, three years, basically, of them 
trying to figure out through various, you know, scans and MRIs and diagnoses and trainers and orthopedics, trying to figure out um, what's going on. Well, and when you think about that, she's been at several different places. So Houston, Chicago, Leon with the U.S. national team back and forth between different entities. That's that's got to be something that doesn't always help. For sure. And I'll tell you another thing that, you know, just as an athlete, when you, it's hard enough to be hurt because when you're hurt, like that's, when you're an athlete, your body is your instrument. And so when you're hurt, that's already difficult enough. But then when you come back, there's that mental hurdle. You know, the next time I go into a tackle, the next time I sprint all out, is something going to go wrong again? And then to go even a step further to not necessarily know why you're in pain or why you don't feel right has got to be, you know, not only uh, a major mental challenge, but it's got to be one of those things where it's just constantly um, you, you're second guessing yourself about, you know, what's wrong with me. Or, and you might even might start to become psychosomatic at some point where you start to wonder oh, if it is in your head because right. we can find it. Right. And, you know, why, why am I not performing? Because listen, we all know what Morgan Bryant can be when she's at her best. We've all seen that. Um, but we've right. all also seen the past three years where she, clearly she's not at her best. Um, so I think they, they believe that they finally figured out what's wrong. And I think they're hopeful. Rory, um, you know, seems very patient with this, which I think is the smart way to go about it, because I think you could probably argue that in the past, you know, she kept getting called back into U.S. camps when it obvious when it was obvious that she wasn't 100 percent, even when she wasn't really playing much at the club level due to injury. Uh, and then she'd right. get called into U.S. camps, she'd get games and then she'd be hurt again. And so they've never really either taken the time to figure out what's wrong or taken the time to let her get 100 percent healthy. And it seems like they're finally going to do that. It makes me think a lot about early 2016 when she was still with the Dash and uh, Jill wanted Randy Waldrum to play her more in that kind of defensive holding role. Um, you know, and that she also seemed to be struggling with, I don't know if it was a quad injury or, or, or something, but, you know, you had such a limited window uh, to experiment for, of course, you know, the Olympics. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it seemed like, you know, she didn't ever get a chance to, to catch up. So maybe, you know, she can get rested, she can get healthy. Because when you think about it, she's still, what, not even 26 yet or just 20. 20- I think she's 26. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. 26 this spring. It's like, got still got a a big career ahead of her. So yeah, let's, let's get her rested. Um, You got some other new players uh, on, on the red stars, of course, this season, Katie Johnson acquired in the off season. What'd you see from Katie Johnson at the invitational? Uh, Two things. One, her holdup play is excellent. Um, She has that nice, big, long frame where she can kind of put a defender on her back and hold them off. Um, So we saw that a number of times where, you know, Chicago could play the ball up to her. She could hold on and wait for, you know, the wide players to get forward and support. And the other thing that I noticed was that her and Sam Kerr seemed to form a pretty quick connection. Um, for not having played together um, 
four, which uh, could be huge for Chicago. Of course, uh, it could also complicate things because Kerr and Nagasato also had a really good connection. And of course, Kerr will be leaving for the World Cup. So, um, but it, that's a nice, a nice pickup for Chicago, especially looking forward to uh, June and July. Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm so excited for the season to start because with all of the offseason movements, trades, signings, different people leaving, um, you know, new coaches coming in, and we, you know, the, the offseason's so long, we get to see almost no preseason games. Um, what I think the Washington versus uh, Bordeaux was the only one that's been streamed. You know, I think I think we're all ready to see like, okay, these coaches have been working working their magic behind the scenes. I wanna see I wanna see what's up. You know. Um what else did you see from the Portland and, and Seattle players that you saw play? Um uh, well, just one last thing from from Seattle to add on to some of the stuff I said earlier. Um, I was really impressed watching Lauren Barnes play as well. Um, she did a really nice job. The the U twenty threes in that first game in particular, um, surprisingly, I think, put Seattle under pressure at times. And Barnes was doing a really nice job cleaning up uh, the messes back there. Uh, Portland mm-hmm. side, I think, if I'm a Portland fan or maybe even a U.S. fan, I'd be really excited about uh, watching Tobin Heath. Um, you know, her form right now is very strong. She looked hungry. You know, this is a player who certainly isn't going to have to fight for her spot in Portland. And yet she came out in this game, like it was the NWSL final. Um, and she was going at short from the get go. She was battling physically. Um, there was one sequence on a counter where Sam Kerr ended up, um, kind of being the second to last defender. I think it was a counter off of a set piece and her and Heath were in a race down the sideline and Heath while carrying the ball pulled away from Kerr, which was one of the more impressive things that I've seen. You know, I don't think there's too many players. Well, physically no one should be faster with the ball, but I think Heath might be faster with the ball than without it in a sprint. And she pulled away from Kerr. Uh, the other thing from Portland side was watching Lindsay Horan, who looked really good, especially coming off of an injury. Um, she looked physically strong. She was battling in the middle. And of course, you know, I think, uh, at least in my opinion, she's the one who really connects everything for Portland. Yeah. What do you think about that, that tournament in, in general? I mean, the advantage, disadvantage to playing, seeing other NWSL teams, right before the season starts. I mean, I'm thinking about something that Rory Dame said a couple of years ago before he was in the tournament, uh, you know, and they faced Houston in the first game of the season and Houston had been in the tournament. And he, he, he said he felt like those teams, you know, ended up having a little bit of a head start. Yeah. I think anytime you're playing professional teams, you're going to be playing a higher level of competition. I mean, even, even Seattle um, in the second game when they played some of their B players were really giving Chicago fits. So I think, you know, that's, that's a good thing, right? I mean, you want to see how your players handle that. And I also think because of the fact that the U S players are coming in and leaving, 
um, and the fact that at least on Chicago's side, they're dealing with injuries. I don't really see a downside to playing professional competition. Like, I don't think you're giving anything away. I don't think anybody could watch that game and say, oh, wow, now I know how Chicago, you know, is going to set up against us because it'll be totally different come opening day. And then you mentioned, you know, the U.S. players leaving because, of course, we had uh, the announcement of the roster for the upcoming friendlies against Australia and and Belgium. I mean, other than, of course, the obvious surprise of Ali Krieger getting a call, which I don't think any of us (laughs) expected (laughs) to happen, especially this close to the Women's World Cup. You know, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your feeling on, on that roster and, and what do you think it says about, uh, you know, the final roster that Jill will announce for the World Cup after these friendlies? I just think it's kind of what we, we all know is that there really aren't going to be too many surprises, right? I mean, this has more or less been locked in for, for quite a while now. So I think we, we kind of know, you know, where, where everybody's at and Jill's thought process um you know matthias didn't get called in so that uh, maybe that's a little bit of surprise just because she'd been kind of in the rotation she'd been called into a lot of camps even though she hadn't been getting game time but it also shows that the the situation at right back right now 10 weeks out from the world cup is totally unsettled um I think there's no question that O'Hare is the number one if and when she's healthy, but she's been hurt so many times that, um, and obviously Ellis doesn't like what she's seeing from some of the players that she's given minutes to. I think there's been six different players there over the past um, two years. And so now we're kind of back to to who the backup was back in the summer of 2017. Um, it's it's not a great situation for them to be in. It is what it is, and I think Ellis is, is trying to address that. And then what do you think about, you know, like, so Allie Long is on the, the roster for this one. She was one of the training players for She Believes, uh, but not on the, you know, the roster that could be pulled from for for game days. You know, I'm reading that as, like, maybe this is her last chance to to kind of squeeze in to the 23. Yeah, and I think it depends on how many center mids she decides to bring because she has players who maybe aren't counted as center mids on her rosters but can play there. Um, and I'm not saying I agree with these decisions, but obviously she she's played Pew at center mid. She's played Press at center mid. Um, she's played Dunn at center mid. So there are different players that, that she can move into those positions. But I think, in my opinion, this was probably the fact that Colaprico wasn't ready to come back into camp uh, or at least mm-hmm. didn't seem ready to come back in, uh, in Jill's judgment. And so I think this is kind of that fight for that last center mid position um, and kind of see how that shakes out. And I, I don't think it's necessarily guaranteed that she even pulls a player in from that position because you've already got Ertz, you've already got Horan and Lavelle, you've got Mewis, you've got Zerboni. Um, and like I mentioned, there's a bunch of other players that have kind of rotated in and out of there. So maybe long goes, maybe she doesn't. I think that's pro- that and a backup right back are probably the last two positions. I think Jill in her head probably has 21 out of 23 players made up. Well, and what do you think, uh, you know, about Casey Short? Do you think she'll get some time? Because we haven't seen her play in 2019. Last time she had yeah. significant minutes was during World Cup qualifying in the the game against Panama, where Jill basically played almost yep. all 
you know, backups. Um, but you know, we know when she's healthy, we know how good she can be. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, especially with some of the defensive issues, it's like, I'm hoping we're going to see short in one of these games. Yeah, and she can play on the left or the right. So you could play her on the left and push Dunn over to the right, where I bet you she's probably a little more comfortable. So I, I, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't totally understand it. My, my instinct is that Jill prefers attacking-oriented players, and that Short is probably a better defender than she is an attacker at that position. Now, I think most people would say, well, don't you want your right back to be a good defender? Um, but I think going all the way back to post 2015 World Cup that Ellis has been, I don't know if obsessed, it maybe is a bit of a too strong of a word, but, but has shown <laughs> a strong, a strong preference for attacking players um, in those outside backs. And that's why Krieger got replaced in the first place. It was because she wanted Klingenberg there. We all know that Klingenberg goes forward a lot um, and very far forward. And so that has kind of been the MO, whether it's, you know, Taylor Smith or converting Sophia Huerta or moving Dunn there, that she wants somebody in those positions who is going to bomb forward. Yeah. But I guess I could make a really bad pun and just say her plan is bombed. But um, that's that's probably a little a little harsh. Um, you know, that that does seem to be what we're seeing a lot you know, in, in the game these days is, you know, those outside flank players that can really attack, but, you know, Hey, if, if you can't find the right person for that, you know, I don't know. I mean, we, like you said, we're 10 weeks out for the women's world cup. It's not like you can make a lot of changes, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, any really good coach or any really, you know, really high level squad has to have the ability to adapt to the situation at hand, whether it's, you know, we don't have this player or, you know, or we're facing a different kind of competition. I I think back to the 2008 Olympics, uh, you know, Abby Wambach breaks her leg in the game right before they're about to leave to go to China, you know, right. Um, They had to adapt. And Angela Hughley's a midfielder became the highest scoring player at that Olympics for the, for the U S they had to, you know, and, right. and, and I've seen, we have seen this team adapt, you know, again, thinking back to 2015, the yellows to Lauren holiday, Megan Rapino forced Jill Ellis to change the lineup going into the quarterfinal. And then suddenly things clicked, you know, I, I hate to think that it's outside forces that always create that, that change, but you know, you want to know that the team's ready when those outside forces happen so that there is the potential to adapt. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this is one of the things that has bothered me a little bit, you know, just, just as an outsider and somebody who, you know, tries to think through, you know, option B, option C, because, you know, when, when she dropped Krieger in the first place, it seemed to be under this belief that she was going to have these better options, you know, whether it was Huerta or Taylor Smith at that time. Um, And then none of those options panned out. So we've now gone two years and we're back to to Krieger. And it reminds me a lot of when Whitney Engen got dropped and they dropped Engen and then they didn't have a replacement ready. And so they ended up starting Casey short at center back a couple of matches um, and even now, you look at the situation, again, we're 10 weeks from the World Cup, 
I don't think anybody can tell me with any certainty who the second center back is other than Sauerbrunn. Um, and even if you take her out of the <laughs> – No, you're well, right. I mean, you're right. Right? And then it, let's go a step further. You know, if you look at where they were at with Sauerbrunn hurt and they had Davidson um, and Dahlkemper, that was not a good combination. So now you're sitting here in this situation where you have at best three center backs – and if anything goes wrong there, you're going to have to drop Julie Ertz into the back line, which is going to throw off your midfield that you've been working on for two years. So you can do it, but it's going to cause problems in other areas. So, you know, I think Ellis has this tendency to look at a player, say, this player isn't good enough, go looking for other options, instead of allowing, bringing those other options in, having those players compete head-to-head, see what happens, and then going forward. Yeah, like, and we've seen a lot of this player gets they get called in, they get some time. It looks like things are good, and then then they're just off the radar. You know, yep. I'm, I'm thinking like Sofia Huerta, um, Taylor Smith, who you know it's kind of a moot point with with her injury right now. But you know, we we've seen a lot of players move in and out, and and I'm I'm frustrated on Danny Calaprico's behalf that. You know, we didn't get to see her at She Believes and that, you know, she, you know, didn't get the call for the, for this one due to, uh, you know, the lingering injury she had coming back from, from the W League season. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to these games against Australia and Belgium to see, you know, how, how they come out after, you know, how She Believes progressed. Yeah. Cole Aprico, by the way, was really kind of reflective, um, on, on her journey over the past six months, and uh, there'll be something on Equalize or on um, ASN um, coming up in the next week or two about about that and some of the things that uh, that she's gone through and, and thought about um, since not being in the team, being back with the team, getting hurt, being off the team again. Um, she's she's had quite the six months for sure. Yeah. So, any last thoughts? As uh, you know, we're, we're going into the the final weekend of games for the national team before they, before Jill Ellis has to name a roster, uh, we're supposed to get uh, provisional rosters are due basically the last weekend of April. But, you know, it, it sounds like Jill will go ahead and go all the way to her 23 uh, by then. And then, you know, we're, we're just basically two weeks away from the beginning of the end of yourself season. I'll tell you, I'm excited for the NWSL season. It's, uh, it's been a long off season. Um, you know, just to add one last comment to the U.S. thing, uh, going back to this outside back issue that, uh, you know, it's fine to want outside backs to attack, but if your front line with Tobin Heath, Megan Rapino, and Alex Morgan can't get the job done attacking, then, then you have bigger problems. You know, you don't necessarily <laughs> need your outside backs scoring goals or assists. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. I think was it was it you that wrote the uh Yes, it was you that wrote the article for Equalizer about the ghosts of that game against yeah, Sweden in the Olympic quarterfinal and that it that it's so much of this tinkering seems to be, you know, connected to, yeah, to, to that, solve a problem that game probably, and that, yeah. Won't happen for another ten, twenty years. Yeah. 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 
So I highly recommend everybody check out John's articles on Equalizer and, of course, American Soccer Now, which has a different website name. What's the, what's the website for American Soccer Now? It's just AmericanSoccerNow.com. It is? Really? Okay, because it used yep. to be something else. Okay. We have a different Twitter All right, good. than we used to. Oh, that's it. That's it. Okay, good. Yeah. So it's just AmericanSoccerNow.com. Yeah, the Twitter is right, well, classic ASN. Gotcha. John, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat and, and hey, for making that trip out, out to Portland, um, you know, to, to catch those games. Of course, we were all hoping that they would be streamed somehow. But, hey, with the, you know, they were at Merlot Field, of course, you know, University of Portland, um, because Which is a great Providence Pro- yeah, but Providence Park is going to um, finally open up after its final stage of uh, of of renovation so but that's uh, yeah i guess portland's got another what two months to wait before they get a home game all right jen cooper the keeper here with cindy lara who covers utah royals for rsl soapbox cindy so glad to have you on the podcast for the first time to talk utah royals yeah thanks for thanks for having me um i'm excited well, tell me how you ended up covering covering soccer and covering Utah Royals. Um, soccer wise, I think it was about two years ago. Um, I've always been a fan, grew up playing, um, so always kind of just kept a, you know, just an interest in the game. And um, I went to school for like English, and kind of writing was like a passion of mine, and you know, tying in English and soccer. Um, uh-huh. just kind of works together, you know, um, yeah. two, two passions coming together. So, um, yeah, I started doing that about 2017. Didn't even know there was like this big deal about, um, covering women's soccer. Like I didn't even know there was an NWSL association media wise. Um, so yeah, so kind of got started getting involved from in being a fan in the game and wanting to write about it. Um, as far as Utah Royals FC, um, yeah, a lot of my knowledge was actually with uh, FC Kansas City. Um, and so when the team went um, to Utah, it was actually oh. something I was like super, yeah, so I was super knowledgeable about that. And um, so it, it was kind of one of those natural things. RSL Soapbox <laughs> was just looking for people who were like knowledgeable about like NWSL and, and soccer. And so I saw a posting and I was like, I'll do it. And, <laughs> that's me and so it kind of, yeah and so it ended up just working out perfectly and the, you know everyone at soapbox is, is just so receptive about you know an nwso team and the royals and just how excited they were so yeah it was kind of one of those things that kind of just happened naturally um just from knowing about the nwsl and and the league at the time um so yeah, it's been it's been super cool. Um, so Box does a great job with its coverage of the Utah Royals, and everyone's very passionate. So it's a great team. It's not just you know just me who does like the editing. You know, there's a great group of of writers in that in that soapbox who just are very passionate and love the Royals and are just very excited to have a team in Salt Lake City. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know. Yeah, and, and as you know, someone who's in town with the dash, I know what it's like to have a team suddenly dumped on your doorstep, and you're like, "Wow, yeah, right? <laughs> I get yeah. a women's team. Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're just well, so and cool. I'm, I'm excited. Go yeah. ahead. 
No, I was saying, it, it's just really cool to see, especially guys who are, like, so big into RSL, to just be like, whoa, a women's team, women's soccer, this is cool. Um, but, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> well, and I'm excited to see, you know, how year two plays out for the Royals, um, you know, where you where you know, Laura Harvey actually got an off season with the team and mm-hmm. the players didn't have to spend the fall wondering where they would end up in the spring, right. you know, so, so, so people are settling in and right. um, not a lot of, you know, turnover in, in this roster, a lot of great players returning, um, you know, of course, Sauerbrunn, O'Hara, mm-hmm. Kristen Press, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Matheson, Scott, you know, Rachel Corsi, you know, lots of great internationals. But what I think is really interesting with this roster is the the big names that will not be missing for the Women's World Cup. Obviously, Amy Rodriguez, not part of the, the U.S. pool really at this time. Mm-hmm. Gunny Jonstadter, you know, Iceland didn't qualify. Um, who was, oh, well, and of course, obviously, Vera Boquette, who the big signing in the offseason. Uh, I mm-hmm. loved reading the story from Laura Harvey about how it was just kind of a, a random phone call connection, like, Hey, she's looking for a team. Would you, you know, right. and that, that Vera wanted to come back to come back to the NWSL and, you know, she's not part of Spain's. So, you know, she won't be away this summer either. So, you know, so when you look at this roster, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what do you think it's going to do in 2019? Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely with you on the whole, there wasn't a huge turnover. Um, a lot of the core players are returning back. And there's obviously that um, that interruption with the World Cup happening. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're another team, like, you know, I think about either like Portland or North Carolina, you think about your core players that are, you know, so big. And um, even with Utah having so many players, I mean, you'll have three of the, you know, you'll have um, Sabran and, and O'Hara and Press from the U.S. and likely Matheson and Scott obviously from Canada and Rachel Corsi and Katie Bowen. So that's, that's a big chunk of your starting lineup right there. But I think what's so special about Utah is that I, I Harvey knew what was going to happen. You know, obviously she's, she's done this before. She it happened in Seattle, you know, in 2015 mm-hmm. where she had, you know, some core players like Hope Solo and, and Megan Rapino leave. And now um, she kind of is feeling that a little bit more, but I think, there's a Utah team. There's a little bit more prepare for that. You know, you have the signing, like you said, of Vero. Um, and then Gunny, who did not qualify with Iceland. And then um, Amy Rodriguez not being a part of the U.S. pool. So you still have these very solid players who are staying behind and, and being a part of that whole entire season. So there's a, actually – I'm actually super excited just to see – what that will happen because you know the international players will leave fairly early in the season probably mm-hmm. week three or four um so i mean that right there and then um that will just leave your whole you know you you have to kind of prepare for for the the next few weeks without your core players but i definitely do think um utah will be okay like i'm i'm not panicking <laughs> um and, and even like some of the um, soapbox guys and I were talking and we're like, we're actually going to be okay. Like, I don't think we have to like panic. I, I don't see 
I don't see that. I, I think Vero's going to step up big. She's going to be huge, even just like starting. I think she'll be that starter for, for Utah Royals FC. And obviously Gunny did wonderful things last year. And A-Rod, who's, you know, not coming back from an injury this year. She's like healthy, you know? Right. So, um, right. Yeah. So super excited. And then you have Doniak who, you know, got picked up last season um, and she's recovered. So I've heard wonderful things about her. At first, people were not sure because she's kind of unknown. But um, right, I think because well, she she was injured in preseason last year, so missed the whole season. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy in this league for a player to kind of just drop off the off the radar. But but she right. she was a contributor. So mm-hmm. when when you think about the players that will leave for the the World Cup, having a player like that that you you know, in Laura Harvey's mind is a known entity as opposed to, you know, maybe a rookie who, you know, we don't know how they're going to do making that transition. Right. That, that's a great thing to have. I would say the same for Mandy Laddish, who was yeah. such a huge part of, of Kansas City. And then she's basically been out the last two years, but she's healthy yeah. now. So mm-hmm. like, if you don't know who Mandy Laddish is, you might want to go <laughs> do some Googling uh, because you shouldn't be surprised when, when she plays really well this season. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And obviously for her, it will be probably just a slow start. I, I don't foresee right. um, her, you know, starting right away, but you know, slowly building time, slowly building minutes. Um, so yeah, su- super excited to to see what Harvey's gonna do. Um, you know, she's gotta be like <laughs> already has like what she's gonna do when May hits and she loses a good chunk of her starting lineup. But um, yeah, I-, I think overall Royals are going to be okay. And how they do in in June, July when those core players are gone, when those international stars are gone, um, that's really going to define. Um, how the rest of the season will go. So, and it gives players a chance to step up, like Lola Bonta and Taylor Lido, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the NWSL. Um, just to give them a chance to step up, and Labonta really settled nicely into Harvey's system last year. So, a lot, a lot of exciting things. And then in the back line, I think Sam Johnson will will step up. So, I I sound like a Super optim, you know, like I'm so excited. I am I'm so excited for. <laughs> we all are. Well, that's I think that's the great serious. part about this yeah. time of year. Like almost no teams have played other NWSL teams, so there's like it all looks great. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, no one's well, lost a game yet. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then yeah. when you think about too for Utah's roster that they have two really great goalkeepers, one of whom has 54 caps oh. with the U.S. Women's yeah. National Team. And they won't be losing either of them, where right. a lot of the teams will lose at least one keeper, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to the World Cup, mm-hmm. even possibly just as, as an alternate. But it's like, you know, that's got to be great that from the back, you know, that leadership that we know Nicole Barnhart can bring and the athleticism mm-hmm. that, that Abby Smith can bring and that they both got a lot of time last year. And, you know, it's the same pair of keepers you know again like the rest of the roster not seeing a lot of uh, changeover that's that's really great to not have to rotate that position at all right no I I I completely agree and even I think RJ Allen wrote um an article about how Abby Smith and Nicole Barnhart are like the best duel you know for in the NWFL right now 
um, especially in the yeah. World Cup years. So, uh, well, yeah. my, ne- my next question for you was like, if you're <laughs> Laura Harvey, how do you pick which one starts? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's always difficult because obviously knowing Barney's history and I'm a huge Nicole Barnhart fan of just, you know, knowing her from the national team and what she did with FC Kansas city. Um, right. It's hard to, to not, you know, it, it's hard to not pick Barney. And last year at the beginning of the season, she wasn't healthy. So the obvious choice right. was Abby Smith, you know? Um, so that that's hard. I, I'm glad I'm not Laura Harvey and I have to make that decision, but um, <laughs> yeah, obviously Abby Smith is the future. Um, but I, 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 just because of experience and there probably will be a lot of rotating between those two. Um, and I know that Barnhart finished the season last year. So yeah, it, it's kind of a toss up. I, I, I think they're both great. So yeah. Good luck, Laura. <laughs> well and have have you been able to see or or talk to um you know any of the new players in camp like maybe you know any of the draft picks or you know do you get a sense of you know if any of them are gonna you know have a shot I mean at least with this year you know that there's the supplemental spots the rosters are a little larger and you know during the world cup period we know that teams are going to have to have at least a minimum of 20 players around so even if you know you lose enough players you'd have to sign some more national team replacement contracts but you know I know that the preseason games for for Utah have been played in California but uh what what are you hearing about some of the the unknowns that fans wouldn't necessarily know their names yet yeah like is it Michelle Mamone Mamoni I don't know how you say her, her last name Mm-hmm. I, yeah, we, we were talking about that, and uh, we're like, is it Mamone, Mamoni? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're like, we don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> as the season goes. That's typically how um, things tend to go here. But um, I do think that um, it will be a much easier year for rookies. You remember last year and how um, – There was you know, no room. There, yeah, there was absolutely – no room at all. And so you had like an EJ Proctor who was, you know, an, a really great goalkeeper in her college years. And, you know, it's just, when I think about the rookies in 2018, I just, my little, my heart breaks. Um, but I do think it will be a little bit easier for the draft picks this year. And especially like the defenders, like Mimoni and Nolf. Um, and, I, and I think for those two, because there will be, so many needs for the, the defense size. It's definitely an opportunity for them to um, get some minutes. Um, so I haven't had actually much of a chance to see them. And obviously with preseason far away and um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, it's, and it's even kind of hard just to see because they play two college teams, you know, uh, for preseason and Utah Royals beat them. Obviously I think the game against USC was 10 to one. So um just from the highlights, it, the whole team looked amazing. But um, so yeah, it's so hard, hard to gauge from that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so hard to gauge right now. I feel, I do feel like as the season is what going, it's what is going to build these players and what rookies step up. You know. Yeah. Well, so. and then it's it's going to be an interesting year for the team too. I think not just on the field, but you know how the the team does in the stands and, and, 
you know, when you think about that going into that second year that now they've been, they've known they've had a team. It's been what, 15, 16 months now. So, Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. you know, the club has had more time to, you know, get out in the community and spread the brand. And like, you know, we, mm-hmm. we saw was it the new away kit. So like, obviously you can see they've had time to design more of, right. of a Jersey right. as opposed to have to take a stock one and just put a name on it, you know? Um, yeah. You know, talk about first, you know, looking back on that year one, just a couple of your, your favorite memories, and then maybe what you're, what you're looking forward to in year two. Yeah. Yeah. And, there was so much excitement around this time about, you know, just the new team. I think the home opener was probably like 12 days away, like it is now. And um, there was just this huge sense of excitement. Like there's a women's soccer team, you know, in Utah and they're good. You have all these players, you know, you know, like a Kelly O'Hara, a Becky Falburn, you know, um, Amy Rodriguez, who was um, still recovering from her knee injury, but um, there was just that this excitement where this year it feels more like there is excitement, but it's more like a familiar kind of excitement. And um, so, yeah, I, I memories, obviously the home opener was, was huge, 19,000 fans. Um, and it was an event that was great, you know, greatly promoted and players were on the radio, billboards went up. Like it was, it was just this huge, huge thing happening and, I think it even won Utah's event of the year, according to, um, nice. yeah, to some Utah thing they did. Um, and so we were just talking about that last week, how, okay, this was a big deal. Um, so yeah, the home opener is big. Um, because I don't think outside of Portland there had, no, I'm lying. That's not true. Orlando, but, um, it's been a while since outside of yeah. Portland, it was a big crowd yeah. for, you yeah. know, so, no, that was, just, that yeah. was a wonderful crowd. That was, that was. And then, um, and then Amy Rodriguez scoring her first goal. Um, that was really good. It felt like the culmination of her recovery, um, just from seeing the devastation from a year before where she tore her ACL and you just right. knew that that's what had happened. And then a year later she comes back and scores a goal and against Portland and, yeah, just that celebration, you could just see how much it just meant to her to score a goal, to be back, you know, on a team and to recover from from an injury and to build another comeback. So that was that was really great. Um, and then, obviously, Utah was the only team who beat the North Carolina Courage. Um, right. That was a great moment. You know, like nobody expected Especially it. Especially for Brittany Ratcliffe, what was it, 93rd, right? 94th minute? Right. Yeah, and and I and I and I I would love to just sit down with Laura Harvey and you know just get to talk to her about what she did against North Carolina that worked so well because North Carolina <laughs> never beat the Royals, you know? <laughs> right, right. So I would love to have a conversation with Laura about those particular three games and what worked so well because Utah looked great in those three games. So those are the three three memories that really just stand out to me. And then looking forward to, to 2019, um, you know, as we've mentioned, it's the roster hasn't changed a lot. Obviously this is a different kind of season where you've got that world cup um, gap, but unlike Mm -hmm. 2015, it's a 24 game season, not a 20 game season. And the Mm. season runs much longer so when the players come back, they won't have a compressed schedule of, oh, now you're back and you're playing 
you know, two games a week. Um, right. So, so I think, I think the rhythm of, of the season will be better in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it does seem like, you know, that the schedule's kind of backloaded that mm-hmm. they're, you know, that, that they leave pretty early in the season, but I think that's better so that post world cup, we get, we get more of the action as opposed to post world cup. And then whoop, everything mm-hmm. ends, you know, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but you yeah. know, what, you know, what, what are your, your expectations for the club in year two, whether on the field or, or off the field and, you know, as, as Frank as you want to be. Yeah, no, I, I obviously when you're a new team, new coach, new system, you still bring a lot of those players from Kansas city, but there's still a lot of adjustment to make as far as like environment and the coach and the players and then bringing in new players. So it was just year one as exciting as it was. And there was a lot of growth, but there was definitely a lot of adjustment. And I think even Laura knew that. I think even, I mean, I don't think we saw the same lineup every week. Like I, I'm sure maybe there was, there was one instance, but um, from what I remember, there was so much tinkering every, 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 every game. And then it was even almost frustrating to see the attack just kind of like, ugh, like nothing was happening in the midfield. It, it kind of just died. Um, the ball was just being lost, you know, when, when you needed it. And the attack just wasn't what it was, especially when you thought of having a Kristen press and then like you do bring a Kristen press and, um, you know, the attack kind of just dies a little bit when you're expecting, you know, this big U S women's national star to, you know, lead the way. And, and there were definitely some sparks to it. I'm not going to deny the sparks that were within the team, but there was, there was a lot of struggle right. with the attack um, in the midfield as well. Not a lot of buildup. So, yeah. So I'm kind of excited just to see for year two, I definitely think that Laura has had, and I think back to her 2013 season in Seattle, where it was kind of just disastrous. Um, she even talked about just like, what am I doing? What have I gotten myself into? Why am I coaching? Um, and then, <laughs> you know, and then the next year, Seattle's like the team to beat. Um, and they win the shield. And, and so just knowing her history with Seattle, her first year, and then what she was able to accomplish the next two years, one of those years being a World Cup year where um, she still finished, like her team still finished, went to the final. Um so we're kind of just looking to just forward to see what Laura has kind of just fixed in the off season um, and what she has done to build for year two. Um, so I, I am looking forward to see how that's going to look. Can she do it again? And obviously I think if she does, it will establish her as one of the great coaches of the NWSL. And we know she's a great coach. Like that's not, that's not even up for debate. We know Laura Harvey can coach, but and if she replicates what she was able to do in Seattle with Utah in year two, in year three, um, I think there's some exciting things. But, um, yeah, just, just kind of looking forward to see what, what the roster is going to do with, with the players. Like Vero, I'm really excited to see Vero. I don't think I've – I never saw her play, but I've heard many good things about her. Um, so I'm excited to see what she's going to do. And well, especially, a especially a player of that caliber – who has played in NWSL before. Yeah. So there's yeah. not a question of does her style of play adapt to this league? It's, you know, she's, she's a proven entity. So that's, For that's sure. always a For great sure. thing to, to add, you know, and, and I think sure. the last, the last thing I want to bring up is, um, 
you know, I'm sure as, as fans, you know, you guys in Utah have been a little frustrated that it seems like there's always a little injury for Kelly mm-hmm. O'Hara. And I, yeah. I'm sure she was a big part of that kind of lack of, of all offense for the Royals last year. And, you know, mm-hmm. and she's not with the new S national team right now as they're, as they're letting her rest. And I'm, I'm hoping that she's, you know, with the, what I think what minor off season surgery and a lot of the mm-hmm. rest she's had. And even she believes they kind of managed her minutes very carefully. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hope that, that she stays healthy because I think she is just such a key part of, right. of Laura Harvey's plans. For sure. And and we were able I believe it was the game against uh Washington Spirit last year in August. There was that full roster, O'Hara came back, Press was there, Amy was there, and, and so we finally got to see some glimpses of what it could have been and, and it was disappointing because it happened too late, you know, because O'Hara was injured and Press came in late. So I feel like towards the end Utah did mm-hmm we did see a glimpse of what could have been. Um, obviously it came too late. I mean, it was, it was already too late for um, postseason and, and anything, but yeah, I, we too hope that Kelly does stay healthy um, for, for not only these next, yeah. the next, <laughs> the first two weeks, but you know, world cup and beyond the world cup. So yeah, I, I'm with you there. It's like uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to Euro 2004 when, like, all the British tabloids were asking people to for Wayne Rooney's foot. <laughs> you know, so so if everyone could pray for Kelly O'Hara's ankle, I think. Yes, ankle, <laughs> hamstring. Let's just make sure she stays intact. Yeah, yeah. she's she's definitely one of those players that. You know, and even in the national team, it's like Kelly O'Hara is just everywhere. Right. <laughs> um, there's like no stopping her, you know, so, which is great. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> well, Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat for the podcast about the Utah Royals and, and last year yeah. and what you're looking for this year and, and keep up the, the good work with the RSL Soapbox. Hey, thanks so much for letting me be on. This was fun. Time to wrap it up with the back four. It's April, so what does that mean? April FIFA window means we've got a lot of friendlies this week. So Thursday, this Thursday, the 4th, U.S. women are playing Australia. And then Sunday, the 7th, they're playing Belgium for the first time. Thursday's game against Australia will be on Fox Sports 1, and kickoff is set for approximately 8.30 p.m. Central Time. But you definitely want to set your DVR to record from 6 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. as Fox Sports 1 will be airing lots of World Cup features and then live pregame coverage will begin at 8 p.m. So four and a half hours of women's soccer on Fox Sports 1. Definitely looking forward to it. Sunday's game is on ESPN2 and that broadcast looks to start at 8 p.m. Central. All right, of course, there are many other friendly scheduled for this April FIFA window. So I've been building uh, my Google Sheet list with the, those games, the kickoff times and broadcast info and rewatch links as I can find them. So keep an eye on my Keeper Notes Twitter feed for that link. And you'll also see in, in that link, there's rewatch links for uh, most, but not all, most of the 
uh, women's games that have that have been played this year, international games. And then if you haven't checked out uh, my new t-shirt designs, you need to go to keepernotes.spreadshirt.com. I've put up at least one design for every NWSL club, and I'm adding more uh, as I get suggestions or I get ideas. Uh, the cool thing about these shirts is $2 of each shirt $2 for each shirt sold goes directly to the NWSL Players Association. Um, so excited that I've sold almost 50 shirts already. Hope to sell a lot more to help out that player association. And if you're not sure what the player association does, this is the union basically that represents the players in NWSL who are not members of the U.S. women's national team. So actually, these this group represents the bulk of the players in the NWSL. And last but not least, if you're not already following me on, on Twitter, you definitely want to check out Keeper Notes or MixZone. And of course, that's two X's in MixZone. Uh, MixZone, obviously, is all women's soccer. Keeper Notes is... Houston slant, uh, but national teams too, with, you know, obviously a women's soccer bias. So one or the other you, you should enjoy. All right. That's it for this week's episode. I want to thank everybody listening. Uh, thank everyone for putting up with me, taking a break last week. And of course, thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's